Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss with another segment of On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Um, I'm the president over at Embassy, and, and our mantra at Embassy is we help small business. Um, as you know, the show is, is driven to educate the small business owner on various topics of interest that we feel are important that we hear about. And today we're going to be talking about uh, potentially selling your business or buying another business. And uh, we have an expert here with us. Uh, her name is Yasmin Jandali. And uh, she's with Starwood Business Group. She is the founder and the managing director over there. So welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, good. Um, Tell us about Starwood and what you do. Sure. Well, Starwood is a full-service professional business brokerage firm. We help business owners when they're ready when they're thinking about transitioning out of their current business uh, ventures into something different or maybe retiring. And we help them all the way through from uh, exit strategies to business valuations to listing the business for sale and working with prospective buyers when they contact us about those opportunities. Uh, How long has Starwood been around? Well, we have been helping Metro Atlanta business owners for about 10 years. And we've had the privilege of working with wonderful uh, entrepreneurs here in the metro area and we've worked with businesses in all industries and all sizes and uh, one of the facts about which I'm very proud is the majority of our businesses sell for an average of 90% of the asking price Wow! and that's okay. a great percentage and that's because we do our homework up front and the vast majority of our businesses actually sell within 60 to 90 days of listing as well. How did you get in the business? Well, great question. Uh, I used to be in corporate banking. Uh, After that, my husband and I decided that uh, we wanted to do something different, branch out, be our own bosses. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family Mm -hmm. and uh, decided that was the route we, we wanted to go. So we decided to open up our own business. And uh, that was in North Carolina. In Knockwood, we were successful. We were able to recoup our investment within a year, decided to grow additional locations. And uh, then we had the opportunity to sell our businesses to mm-hmm. to uh, a great set of buyers. And that's what uh, really got us thinking about the brokerage world is, you know, we've had the uh, opportunity to start, grow, and sell successful businesses. So we, we knew what it was like to be on both sides of the table. And we felt that that experience would be valuable when we were helping other business owners as well. And so then back in uh, 2005, we came down to Atlanta and have been here ever since. Well, good for you. That's a, And where, where in North Carolina were you? We were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Why would you move from Charlotte down to Atlanta? Everybody's <laughs> moving from Atlanta up to Charlotte, it seems like. Well, I mean, Charlotte is a beautiful city. We really enjoyed living there. Um, and, of course, Atlanta has – there's so many advantages to being here, you know, the large, busiest airports, and we travel quite a bit. And uh, we just felt for what we do for the nature of our business, we we wanted uh, a larger city, you know, lots of synergy. You've got so many corporate headquarters here in Atlanta, lots of diverse business industries. You know, Charlotte's a great city, but it's very banking centered, which is not a bad thing. Uh, We just felt that we wanted something that had a little bit more diverse industry. um, That makes sense. Now, is your business always, uh, 
located in the metro Atlanta area or do you have clients from outside? The vast majority of our clients are in the metro Atlanta area simply because that makes it more efficient and practical to sure. best service our clients, although we have worked with clients um, all across the country. Okay. Um, from a seller's perspective, let's first talk about first from the seller's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of selling their business, is that just a point in time thing or is that a philosophy they ought to manage their company by? Um, how should they think about the sale of their company? Well, not so much that it uh, overtakes the daily operation of the of the business, daily management of the company, but it's definitely something that every business owner should have some sort of exit strategy in place. And it sounds unusual, but even at the closing table when we're selling a business, I always advise the buyers, okay, congratulations, now you have a business Make sure you have your exit strategy in place from day one because you all, you never know what life is going to bring and you always need to be prepared. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of times sellers don't think about that until they have an unfortunate event in their lives that forces them to consider the sale and you never want to be in a position where you have to sell your business. Okay. Uh, what are some of those, uh, like a, a death in the family? Yes, unfortunately, death in the family, illness, divorce. Uh, maybe one partner decides that they're ready to leave and the other one isn't, so then what are they going to do? I mean, any number of things. Sometimes uh, folks imagine that their child is going to grow up and want to take over the business, and the child has their own ideas of what they want to do with their life, and so then the, the parent says, oh, my goodness, I had this business set up for my son or daughter, and... That's not what they want to do. Wow. So, yeah. Um, from a, uh, it, you've, you've got a couple of items here that, that you wanted us to talk about. And um, um, I guess I zoomed up, being the banker that I am, I zoomed in on cash flow, SD, yeah. SDC and SDE. And as I mentioned to you, I'd been around for a long time and I'd never heard that. So tell me what. SDC and SDE stand for? What it sure. isn't? Well, in, in our world, in my world, SDC and SDE, uh, they're pretty much interchangeable. And it's they mean uh, seller's discretionary cash flow and seller's discretionary earnings. Okay. And that's different from the net income or net loss figure that you would see on the tax returns. Because part of our process when we're determining uh, what the business is worth and if we're going to represent this business for sale is to determine, okay, how much cash flow is this business really throwing off? How much is available for debt service? How much can a new owner actually take out in salary to pay themselves? How much is there for return on investment and how much is there for the new owner to reinvest into continuing to grow the business? So those are all the things that the seller's discretionary cash flow or SDC needs to do. And that's the really the basis for the valuation of the business is coming up with that SDC number. Now, is that SDC number, is that... Is that uh, typically understated by the seller? Is it overstated? Or do they even focus in on what that is? Yeah, m most of the time people don't even know what that is. Um, and as you know, the majority of business owners, they want to minimize their tax liability, right? So they want to reduce that net income on their tax returns. And so they come to me and they say, well, my net income is just not really good. I'm not making that much money on the tax returns. But of course, because that's what your accountant's job is, is mm -hmm. reducing your tax liability. And so then we go back in there 
and analyze those figures, those financials, and come up with how much actually is being thrown off by this company in terms of cash flow. So the vast majority of the time, uh, the business is throwing off more than the seller had imagined. Now, when you calculate your cash flow, are you are you do you segregate that between cash flow from operations and then uh, and then cash flow from financing activities so that the buyer can really see what that business is throwing off? Yeah, I mean, we just do look at cash flow from operations. Um, and a lot of times, the majority of it is has to do with looking at things that are discretionary expenses that the seller is running through the business uh, that are provable and justifiable and they make sense and they really are not necessary to the operation of the business. So a lot of times you'll find that the seller, maybe they're paying their personal health insurance or life insurance or maybe they're paying themselves bonuses or distributions um, you know, that sort of thing. Or if there's a, uh, they paid, you know, $40,000 for a company car that's not coming with the company, that sort of thing. So those are all the things that we look at to come up with that number. And some of the situations we see at bankers as, as bankers is the cash flow is not what the owner might think it is it's true because of the fact that they, they they keep borrowing, repaying debt. And the underlying business isn't making a whole lot of money, but they seem to have a lot of cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happens sometimes. And, you know, and in, in our world, the vast majority of the time, the new owner is going to get the business free and clear of any debt and liability after closing. So they get a clean balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And the seller has to, of course, satisfy any obligations that, that they might have. And, you know, if, if I think it's always good for a business owner to have a line of credit or something that they can pull from if they need it. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it's even better when a business is self-sustainable and you don't have to be in constant debt. And your earnings are generated by your business Operation, activities. Right, yeah, rather than operations. borrowing. And yeah. then you're paying interest on that debt, which is also yeah. not a good thing. Yeah, and if only if bankers had been doing that exercise back in 2004 or five, they probably would have... Uh, may have done things differently, but who knows. Um, now, if a seller starts to decide, uh, maybe I ought to look to sell, should they hire a broker? Well, look who you're asking, of course. Well, right. <laughs> well the, here's, here's why. Again, because it goes back to your previous question. You know, most of the time, sellers don't even know how much money they're making. So how much are, how are they going to ever figure out how much their business is actually worth? That's the first step, really, uh, in determining what the value of your business is. And, of course, and you, you can try to sell your business yourself, of course. But what we have found is the majority of business owners who try to do that get so wrapped up with the process of business set, of the sale of the business that they forget to run the business. And by the time you have a really good quality buyer in place, the business has started to deteriorate. And also, keeping in mind, some of the most important things in the sale of a business are, number one, confidentiality mm -hmm. and discretion. You never want to advertise to anybody that the business is for sale. You don't want to jeopardize your operation with your vendors, your key clients, any important loyal key staff that you might have. So all that's very important. And so we allow the business owners the opportunity to continue running their business as usual. And we handle from A to Z, everything that has to do with the process of selling their business. Uh, even if even if a seller has identified a potential buyer, should they go ahead and hire a, quote, broker to assist with that? Well, I think in that situation, at the very minimum, what I would suggest is to hire a professional broker to provide a business valuation. Because, again, neither the buyer nor the seller, unless they are 
really expert in that industry, right? And they've bought and sold businesses in that industry before, mm -hmm. uh, then of course they'll have a better idea. But most people have not. And so to help you and the buyer make sure that you're on the same page and you're putting together a structure that's as fair as possible for both people, uh, at the very minimum, hire a professional broker to give you a, an accurate business valuation. That makes sense. Um, take me through the steps. All right, I wake up one morning. I think I'm going to sell. Take me through the steps. Sure. What's day What's day one look like for me at that point? Well, I got. Should I just automatically hire a broker? Should I look at the market myself? What's how? How do I? How do I find a good broker? Well, there are many resources available. There are uh, associations. I happen to be a member of the Georgia Association of Business Brokers. I'm going to be on the board of the association next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's a great resource as well. Another good resource is uh, other colleagues in, the, in your industry or other business owners that you know that might have gone through the process, get referrals from them on how they did it and who they worked with. Uh, you know, after 10 years in business, honestly, that's the vast majority of our business now is client referrals and we're very proud of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but day one really should be you doing your homework and maybe you pick two or three brokers that you feel uh, have the experience that you're looking for and are comfortable in your industry and you know that by calling around and asking them about their experience, what they do, what their fee structure is. And uh, let's say you get me on the phone and you and I decide that we'd like to try and work together on this. Well, I'm going to ask you, Joe, to provide me with uh, three years of corporate tax returns, mm -hmm. P&L statements, and uh, an interim P&L statement as well, depending on where we are in the year. And then based on that, we will compile a business valuation. And we have developed our own in-house valuation model that we use. And for clients that are considering the sale of their business, we don't charge for those valuations because for us, it's really important that we're on the same page mm -hmm. from the very beginning. And the, it's no, no cost, no obligation, there's no stress. Once the valuation is complete, we'll sit down, we'll review it, answer any questions that you might have, and I'll say, okay, Joe, here's what I think your business is worth now. I might even tell you, listen, Joe, this is not the best time for you to sell your business. Keep it for another year or two. Here's what your plan should be. And, mm -hmm. and, and let's continue moving forward in that direction. Or we can both agree that it's the right time, it's the right price, and then we sign the engagement agreement. And then we handle, again, the process of marketing the business, uh, working with prospective buyers, bringing in the transaction attorney, just handling the whole process for you. Uh, you're listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. This is Joe Moss, and we're having a good conversation with Yasmin Jandali, who is a business broker for uh, owns Starwood Business Group, has a lot of experience with uh, selling and purchasing businesses, and she's given us a good rundown in terms of uh, um, some of the pitfalls, which we're going to get into, and then also just the process of selling a business. Um, do you make your clients uh, sign a, not an exclusive arrangement with you so they don't shop with anybody else, or how does that work? Oh, that's a great question, and you will find that to be common industry standard, that most agreements uh, are exclusive engagement agreements, and it's simply because we invest a significant amount of time and effort and money mm -hmm. to represent our clients, advertise the business, and deal with prospective buyers. And so, yes, we want to make sure that it is exclusive, and we don't want sellers to be in a situation where they're having to pay more than one broker. That's never a good thing. 
Yeah, you're getting that caught in that broker daisy chain. It can be pretty brutal. That's true. It can exactly. blow up a transaction. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, let's move to the buyer side. If sure. I'm hunting around and I'm looking for a business uh, to buy, what is what are some of the good industries these days? That answer really depends on who the buyer is, what their background is, what they're looking for, what their skills are, what they like to do. You know, I, one of the main questions I ask prospective buyers is, can you see yourself, quote unquote, behind the counter, you know, even if it's not a retail store, can you see yourself behind the counter of this business day in and day out, you know, for the next five to seven years? Is that something that you feel you'd really enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, then it's probably not the right business for you, whatever it may be. But generally speaking, um, there's always a market for B2B businesses, you know, service, wholesale distribution, transportation. Uh, I mean, it's just such a wide range. Uh, every time I meet with a prospective client and learn about their business and a new type of business, I'm always amazed at how at the different ways people find to make money. It's always so interesting to, to learn about that. And the a lot of diff a lot of uh, even within a particular niche, a lot of different strategies w within that particular niche. Sure. Um, I'm going to go back to the seller for a minute. The key factors of that: Do you determine within their business what really causes or creates their value? Is that part of the work? Would you, you know, for example? Uh, you're you're valuable because of the customers you sell to do business with. You're valuable because your product is so unique. You're valuable because uh, you do it so inexpensively and so productively. Do you try to identify what those key drivers are? Well, those are all things, uh, factors that make businesses attractive to prospective buyers, right? Those are all good reasons to buy a business. And all of those things, if they're in place and they're working successfully, what are they ultimately going to lead to? Cash flow. Mm -hmm. So th when you ask what are buyers buying, number one, they're buying cash flow. Because you could have a business that has a million dollars worth of equipment, but if that equipment isn't working, if it's not generating revenue, which trickles down to cash flow, it's not worth very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, from, the, from the buyer perspective, how do I protect myself to make sure some of those value drivers are still there when I buy the business? Yeah, fair enough. That's a great question. Well, obviously, once an offer has been rendered on a business, there's a due diligence period. And the buyer has the opportunity to request documentation to prove uh, any of those items, whether it's client lists or you know things like that, uh, to make them feel more comfortable with, with what the seller is, is offering. Also, we require all of our sellers to sign a non-compete agreement. That's part of our mm -hmm. en engagement agreement with the sellers. We require them to sign a non-compete agreement, and we require them to sign a training and consulting agreement. So if you're going to walk away from this business, you're going to walk away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, so we need to make sure that the sellers are going to stay there after the closing for a certain period of time to help and train with the transition, make sure they provide all the tools and skills necessary for the new owner to, to continue to be successful. And we also want to protect the buyer, make sure that the seller doesn't go across the street and open up open up shop across the street. Right. Mm -hmm. um, how do you protect the buyer if if the the value of the business that they're buying is really in the head of the seller? Is that affected in the purchase price or how does that all how, how do you how do you advise 
everybody to protect themselves? Well, I would go back and say that's the broker's job at the very beginning of the process before there's even a buyer in the picture to make sure that they educate their client and give them a realistic expectation of what the business is worth. So a professional expert business broker should never allow their client to dictate what the value of the business is or what this asking price should be. Again, it should be based on the cash flow analysis, industry comps, all of those things that are provable and justifiable and make sense. Uh, because again, everybody thinks that their business is worth $5 million, and that's sometimes the case, but most of the time it's not. And so from my perspective as a professional, I can't allow my client to dictate what he feels the business is worth when he doesn't really know. Um, let's, let's take a consulting business where you have uh, uh, two or three people that mm -hmm. just do a look, real good job within sure. that industry and they've got uh, clients, etc. But the, the, the real firepower is them. Them, yes. And those businesses are generally a little bit more of a challenge to transition, obviously. I mean, it's similar to, you know, maybe a law firm or a medical practice or something like that where the owner is the business. And that becomes more challenging. And so in those situations, what you do is you normally have a longer transition period where the uh, sellers stay on for years sometimes before they phase out. And that really helps to make the introductions better to the clients and help them phase the new owners in. Uh, or if we uh, if the business owner is planning long-term enough, they come to us way before and we say, listen, you need to set up the business in a way to where you are almost replaceable. Make sure you've got that infrastructure in place of staff and support staff and all that that can take care of the business even if you're not there because the last thing you want is for the business to crumble if you leave. So you need to have an infrastructure in place. And and that just gets into the whole succession planning thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, insurance on the key person, uh, all, all those items. Um, let's talk about uh, qualifying the buyer. If I'm the seller, before I sign anything, I want to make sure that buyer is going to be able to show up at the closing table. How do I do that? Well, again, that's part of why you hire a professional business broker, because that's part of our job. That's what we do for you. So you don't have to worry about that. So I may be contacted on a weekly basis by maybe 10 or 15 people who are interested in your business. But it's my job to pre-screen them and sift through the folks that are, you know, maybe just curious or kicking around or not particularly qualified and find those few gems that really would be good fits for your business. And part of our process is of course, we request from them a, a documentation packet that contains a confidentiality agreement, financial statement, uh, buyer worksheet, buyer profile, all the documentation that we require from them to make sure we're talking to someone who is uh, serious mm -hmm. and uh, financially qualified and also has a background that will enable them to continue to be successful. Because we don't want to just sell businesses. We want them to be successful. You know, for somebody who's coming in and investing, you know, whatever it is, whether it's $50,000 or $5 million, it's still a lot of money to a lot of people. And we want to make sure that they can continue to be successful in that business. Um, and that can be tough. I'm sure that you've probably have to ferret through a bunch of tire kickers before yes. you find the right one. That's very true. And that would take a lot of time out of ha being able to just run the business, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why a lot of folks who've tried to sell their businesses themselves, they say, oh my goodness, it's just overwhelming. I cannot 
do this. Uh, and that's when they decide to hire a professional. But you just hope that by the time they've gotten to that point, number one, they haven't you know, really lost a lot of confidentiality. You don't want everybody to know. And you really don't want to lose a lot of leverage either. I mean, it's just different when you're discussing and negotiating with a professional intermediary versus with a business owner who knows their business really well, but doesn't know much about how to transition it to somebody else. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of your uh, favorite transactions. What's, what's, probably, what's the most favorite transaction you've worked on and were successful on? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there have been so many. Like I said before, it's always interesting It's like exciting. asking uh, who's your favorite child, yeah, right? Yeah, it's so exciting. And, and one of, I've got to say, okay, I hope uh, I'm going to send Dave the, the link to um, – to, to this after it's online so he can listen, so he can hear the shout out to him. I love Dave Weiser. He's just one of the greatest buyers I've ever worked with. He was he contacted me uh, to learn just simply about the process of buying a business. At the time, he didn't feel he was quite ready to make the mm -hmm. leap. And when I sat down and I talked to him and we interviewed and we talked, and I said, you know what, Dave, you would make a really good fit for this one sign manufacturing company that I have available for sale would you consider looking at it? And he said, sure. And he had a corporate job at the time with a uh, very large uh, logistics company that shall remain unnamed at this point. <laughs> and uh, happened to move from <laughs> Chicago to Atlanta, right? right. And um, so we, we, we looked at it and uh, he met the seller and they got along famously. And uh, as far as I know, this was a few years ago, as far as I know, the seller is still there working for him in the company. And that just, it makes me really happy because that just says that they work together well, they got along. And not only that, um, you know, he's, he came back to me and he said, listen, when I'm thinking about selling my business, I'm going to come and talk to you. And that, that gives me goosebumps because that's the greatest compliment that you can get when you're in this business. Sure. Um, you don't have to name names on this one, but <laughs> give me an idea of one that might have fallen apart. Um, it was kind of like your worst nightmare. Sure. There have been a couple of those, and it happens in every business. It's, it's inevitable. And I think uh, the reason that that happens is when the seller starts involving too many people in the mix. It's always good to have a couple of folks that you rely on for their expertise and wisdom and advice. But when you start asking everybody and their brother for advice on how to do this, after a while, things are just going to get messy. And one situation we had, uh, it was a wonderful business. The buyer was top-notch. He agreed to pretty much all the terms that the seller wanted. It was a great structure. Um, the seller's brother was an attorney who was a wonderful attorney, just knew nothing about business. <laughs> he wasn't a business attorney. And he came in and started just ripping things to shreds for no reason that really just were putting his brother at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the buyer did walk away because it just got to the point where it was um, not not conducive to a uh, to a good working relationship at that point. I've seen that happen. Yeah, before. I bet you have. Uh, you're listening to On the Money. Uh, this is Joe Moss show brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And we're talking to uh, Yasmin Jandali, um, Starwood Business Group. She is in the business of helping people sell or buy businesses and um, giving us some real good insight on that whole, whole, that, on that whole transaction. Um, when should the seller let the buyer in the door to see 
pull up the kimono, if you will. When should that happen? Well, after we've had the opportunity to pre-screen the prospective buyers, and I call you up and I say, Joe, I've got somebody that I really like, and I think he's a good fit for your company. He's worth your time. That's when you know it's somebody that you should take a little time out to meet. And so depending on the nature of the business, we'll either come to the location, we'll meet at my office. It just depends. Uh, but we always put the seller and the buyer face-to-face. -face. And you do want to be transparent. You do want to tell them why you're selling. You don't want to give away any trade secrets or uh, anything that could jeopardize the operation of your business because there's certain things that you will only transition to them after the closing. Uh, that's just a given. Uh, but you do want to be transparent with them and let them know. Uh, and as good as we are at what we do, what's really going to sell the business is the the owner's excitement about what somebody coming in with a fire in their belly can do with this business. If, mm -hmm. if, if you have, you know, sometimes people sell just because they're just tired. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're doing the same thing for 25 years, you're just ready for a change. And so say, so you know what, if I was young again, or if I was just starting out in this industry, here's what I would do. And here's what you can do. And a lot of times that gets buyers really excited about the future of what they can do when they're running it. Mm -hmm. um, what about, um, I can see this happening where you've uh, you, you've identified a candidate, everybody does their due diligence, uh, get to the closing, it happens, and then all of a sudden the uh, adrenaline wears off and the buyer shows up and now it's their business. Mm -hmm. What is that first six months like? Well, I'm sure it's a challenge, especially if it's a buyer who's coming into an industry in which they don't have prior experience. I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of stress involved with that, uh, but exciting as well. I would imagine, depending on the business, probably the first 60 to 90 days are really where it's most challenging. Mm -hmm. But then after that, most people will hit their stride and, and they'll just start running with the business. And that's when, you know, the owners or the previous owners are still involved. They're helping. They're there to assist and answer questions. And the vast majority of time, there is an existing infrastructure of staff management to help guide them and show them. And so it's, it's usually okay. And um, how can a buyer protect themselves from buying a pig in a poke, I guess is the old Southern expression. <laughs> they show up and it's really not as represented, even though they've done all their due diligence. Well, thankfully, we've never had that happen. So I, uh, you know, again, but that's why it's always good to have a fantastic uh, transaction attorney involved who draws up the paperwork to protect both parties mm -hmm. uh, in, in their respective areas. And uh, there's always legal recourse in those sorts of things. But again, luckily, we've never been in that situation. And how does the seller protect themselves um, in case the buyer shows up and they're just completely incompetent and then the buyer starts blaming the seller? Well, uh, if, the, if the transaction is being financed by the seller and the, the buyer stops paying mm -hmm. on that mortgage, uh, there is recourse in the promissory note for the seller to go in there and take over the business and do what they need to do until they're made whole again. Mm -hmm. If they are not made whole again, uh, then the seller could really just take over the business indefinitely. Um, and that's not anything anybody wants to do, right. but there are protections in there for the parties. Yeah, And um, I guess you would recommend, would you recommend that the seller take back financing? 
Well, of course, everybody prefers to get their money up front at sure. closing if possible. Uh, but these days, Mr. SBA, <laughs> you know, lending is harder to come by. It's just a fact. And so what we we have seen, the vast majority of our deals over the last probably four years have been seller financed to some degree or other, some as little as 10% and up to 50% seller financing. Well, as, as, a, as a bank, um, we actually prefer there be seller financing because sure. that keeps another eye on the prize well, exactly. for us. So the seller is going to be involved even as little as 5% you know, with an SBA deal and as high as 40 or 50% if it's a seller financing. So the seller ought to take cash, a lot of cash, but then that seller note is just another income stream that, that's helping them for a while. Well, absolutely. And you, you end up... If you if you do end up seller financing, you end up making more than the original sales price because you're charging interest, mm-hmm. and there are, could also be uh, tax benefits to doing so. Talk to your tax professional. Uh, <laughs> disclaimer: How to structure uh, that? Yeah. How to structure that? And uh, because generally speaking, the lump sum that you receive at closing for the down payment is taxed differently than the monthly payments that you would receive on sure. the seller note. Sure. So there are benefits. Um. We talk a lot about social media and technology on this show. Um, how do your How does your company use the web? How How do the How does your company use technology? We use it extensively uh, because for us, it's a wonderful tool to get our name out there for people to learn about us. You know, we've got a great website out there. It's informative. It gives people uh, a lot of details of what they can do to prepare for buying or selling a business, and. Um, you know, everything that we do is basically online, you know, whether it's uh, researching for comps for the valuation, whether it's marketing the businesses for sale on several dozen different websites that, you know, work uh, on business sales. So everything we do is technology driven, really. So if I go back to the overall transaction, it sounds to me like that, uh, obviously, you would recommend, and I think it's a good idea, if, um, uh, recommend that the seller utilize the service of a broker. Mm-hmm. They should expect to sign an exclusive agreement. That's right. And that's going to protect them and you for um, a year, and then you probably protect prospective buyers for another three years or so? Or what does that typically look like? What should a seller expect? In terms of the engagement agreement? Yeah. Yeah. So again, there's no set structure, fee structure, listing structure in this industry. Uh, You can go to 10 different firms and you'll find 10 different uh, agreements. I can talk about ours, which is an exclusive agreement. It is a 12-month agreement. And, uh, And yes, we do uh, it's there to protect all the parties. And so if we do present a prospective buyer to a seller, uh, we are protected for a period of two years afterwards if you know, they end up selling to each other. Okay. And so from a seller, I think that the uh, they should expect that. In fact, they should feel comfortable with that because that way uh, they know you're tied into the whole thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, and um, from, a, from the buyer perspective, um, what kind of financing options do you see recently? Uh, is there a lot of money coming out of 401ks? Is it pension money, rollover money? Uh, are people using bank financing? Uh, how, what are you seeing these days? 
It's, uh, well, like I said, the vast majority of deals that we have done have been seller financed to some degree or other. And uh, so the down payment, the source of down payment from the buyer is going to depend on how we're financing the deal because obviously the bank is going to want that money to be liquid funds. They can't use a home equity line of credit or anything like that. Right. Uh, Whereas there's a little bit more flexibility on where the money comes from when it's a seller financed transaction. Uh, Of course, it's to everybody's benefit to have uh, institutional finance in place. You know, the borrower gets a longer amortization period, better rates, lower payment, lower down payment, and the seller gets their money up front. Uh, Sometimes it's just not an option. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily an indication that there's anything wrong with the business or there's anything wrong with the buyer or their credit or their background. Uh, banks just do tend to be more conservative, and that's just their nature. And a lot of times we end up saying, okay, Mr. Seller, if you want to sell this business, you have to consider financing. Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes into play for them to have a good uh, a good feeling about the buyer as well as um, – you know, understanding that this is the right person for their business who's going to do well and and, uh, and keep it going. You're listening to On the Money. We're talking about buying and selling of businesses. We're, t- we're talking with Yasmin Jandali at Starwood Business Group. Um, uh, her company has about 10 years of 10 years plus of experience here in the metro Atlanta area, North Carolina area. And uh, she was actually a business seller at one point, so she learned a lot from that. And she's been a banker before as well. Um, so um, she's seen, I think, all sides of the transaction, I would think. Um, the other thing that you mentioned I thought was interesting is, uh, and I wrote it down, is uh, too many chefs in the kitchen. Right. Um, once you decide to sell your business... <laughs> It's best just to leave it up to the professionals, correct? I do. Yes, I do believe that. And, you know, a professional business broker is just another part of your professional team. So we're going to be there just like your accountant, just like your attorney, uh, you know, or your insurance uh, provider. We're another spoke in that wheel of professionals to help you keep your business on track and keep you moving in the right direction. Uh, So, yes, keep it to the professionals. Because, you know, if if I'm selling a, a transportation, company, I wouldn't want to go in there and presume to tell someone how to how to drive their truck. <laughs> sure. And um, you recommend, uh, I know bankers, if they finance through a, a bank, the banker is going to want to have an outside opinion as to the value of the business. Mm-hmm. But if it, even if it's a private transaction, I suspect you would recommend an outside valuation. Oh, they're always welcome to do that. I mean, when buyers are going through their due diligence process, uh, they're welcome to to do whatever makes them feel comfortable within reason, of course, and whatever they need to help them make uh, make that final decision. And whether that's going to a third party valuation or what have you, uh, that's that's totally fine. We we have not had that happen because most of the time when buyers come in and they see our valuations and they see the tax returns and they see the numbers that we come up with, it makes sense. Again, because from my perspective, it's not in anybody's benefit to uh, overprice businesses and never sell them. Mm-hmm. And and then you lose some of that um, uh, respectability in the industry if somebody says, oh, this person, they always ask too much for the business. So what by the time the buyer comes in and they start doing their due diligence, they see that, you know, we're pretty much in the range where we need to be. What's the largest transaction you've done? Oh, my goodness. Um I would say nine, uh, I was closer to 10 million. And the smallest one you've done? 50,000. 50,000. Mm-hmm. So you're across the board. I am. 
And from my perspective, what makes a good business isn't necessarily the asking price, obviously. It's, you know, is the seller, uh, do they have realistic expectations in terms of the value? Is this a good potential business for someone? Is there really some good income to be had here? Is there a growth opportunity? Are the books and records clean? Mm -hmm. Is everything in place? So those are all the things that we look at, uh, you know, because I would rather work with a $200,000 business that the seller is realistic, they've got good clean books and records and a good staff, versus a $10 million business, that's just a complete mess. All right, I'm going to try to run through some of the things to summarize what we've, what we've done today. And um, the first is, um, when you're a seller, I, I think it's important to always, uh, everything you do ought to be considered, uh, you, you ought to think about how is this driving the value of my company. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it be operational, whether it be uh, pricing, whether it be whatever it is, you should always look to try to drive the value of your company, mm-hmm. not necessarily make the buck uh, for the next week or so. Think long-term. Think long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, books and records are just so critical. Mm-hmm. Clean books and records. Mm-hmm. People like to think that, um, oh my gosh, that's a pain in the butt. All I need to do is pull together my receipts and send them for tax purposes. You're shaking your head. Um, you need good, clean books. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend audited financials or just good, clean, compiled financials? Well, I mean, if audited financials are available, that's always a plus, right? But sometimes uh, maybe folks don't have the financial resources to do that. Compiled is is fine, mm-hmm. uh, as long as everything matches up. So if you give me a PNL and it doesn't match up with your sales reports, that's not a good thing. If you give me sales reports and they don't match up with your tax returns, that's not a good thing. You know, and people always say, well, this is actually how much cash I'm making, so the business is making more than what's here. You know. The sad fact is, the true fact is, it doesn't matter. We have to look at what's on the books, right? It's black and white. You, In this particular situation, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You've already benefited from, you know, reducing your tax liability mm-hmm. uh, in that direction. So you can't, you can't turn around and ask for a higher price, uh, you know, on the flip side. And when we talk about books and records, we're not talking about inputting your register into Quicken once a month. We're talking about a good financial package where you can monitor your receivables, your payables, and it's all integrated into the business. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, and even just having a good, I mean, if, 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 if a person doesn't have the ability to get that detailed, even a good, solid profit and loss statement is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And I think every business owner should do that on a monthly basis anyway, even if they don't want, not thinking about selling, right. because it does help you understand where your money is coming from and where your money's going. So good. So all my banking clients need to hear this. Good, clean books and records drives the value of your business, surprisingly. Absolutely. And we do have a sample P&L that we're happy to provide to business owners. If you want to send me an email, I'm, I'm glad to send that over to you. All right. Um, hire a good business broker. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about signing an exclusive. If you've got a good business broker, hire them, put them in place, mm-hmm. get the business sold. Um be careful who you're selling to. Let your business broker um, uh, tell you who the buyer is. Let them do all the work. Keep it confidential. Mm-hmm. Uh, limit your number of people. And once you, you know, don't go talk to every person about, oh, I'm getting X amount of dollars and have some somebody say, oh, you're not getting enough. And then you have to go back and, you know, just 
Leave it to the pros. Leave it to the pros. And then I would also add to that list, be patient. Because although the vast majority of our businesses do sell relatively quickly, I have had instances where I've had businesses on the market for sale for two years. And that again, that's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's just because you want to find that right fit, the person who's going to take care of your clients, who's going to take care of your employees. And all you need to do is provide me with your financials and be patient. And um, when you get ready to sell, just you may have to take back a seller note, but if you've got a good bank lined up for the buyer, uh, like Embassy National Bank, then you can get a lot of your cash up front, but you still may have to take back a second. Yes, that's true. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. There are benefits to that process as well. And it makes the buyer feel more comfortable because when you're willing to finance the sale of your business, it shows them that you're confident. Mm -hmm. You're confident. You know what this business is all about. You know that cash flow is there. You know what's going to happen. And guess what, Mr. Buyer? Not only do I know, I'm going to be here and I'm going to help you make sure that it continues mm -hmm. to go in that direction. Yeah. So that's a big confidence booster for prospective buyers. Uh, we've had a really good conversation today with Yasmin Jandali, um, manager and managing director and owner of Starwood Business Group, about buying and selling companies. Um, I really appreciate your time it's today. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, why don't you kind of wrap it up for us, tell people how they can get in touch with you, and um, maybe a, a quick little closing elevator pitch? <laughs> Well, everything, all the information is starwoodbusinessgroup.com. There you can find our website, tips on preparing for sale, our Facebook, our Twitter, my LinkedIn. All that information is on the website. And I'm really proud to say that we've been serving Metro Atlanta businesses for 10 years, working with clients in all industries, all business sizes, confidentially helping them get the most for their business in the most professional way. Good. Well, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Um, I think we've learned a lot. Uh, I've loved this session. Um, We're going to really, have to do it again. Yeah, we will. It's because there's a lot to talk about that we haven't talked about. And, and what it tells me is that um, selling the business is, is, is a mentality. You don't want to go around thinking, I'm going to sell it every day. But you do want to run it in a way that is driving the value on a day-to-day -day basis. So, um, well, anyway, thanks for listening today. Thank you, Yasmin, for being on the show. And um, uh, we'll come back at a later date. We're going to be talking about, Mike, what do we got lined up for next week? Put Mike on the spot. I'll say yeah. putting, putting me on the spot. Uh, we have someone from the University of Georgia Business uh, Department Good. Uh, talking about you know the students there. And uh, actually, you could be out of college. You could be an older person if you want to go back and learn business. But uh, someone, the, the, the director from the Georgia Business School that has a Gwinnett campus, they'll be joining us on the next well, show. Good, good, good. That should be a real good show, too. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. Um, and we'll talk to you next time. And just remember, be real careful out there. Thanks a lot, everybody. Mm -hmm.